0: Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. In this episode, I'll be speaking to my older sister, Quinn Faison, about our childhood, but also about our experience as parents. She's the stepmom to two now adults who were teens once, um, who she helped raise with her wife and business partner, Sarah Pollack and please excuse the recording quality as i'm getting used to this technology but here's the episode hi quinn hi (laughs) ann this is so exciting this is very exciting to be interviewing my sister um but i'm going to introduce you um as a professional so um quinn is a trained mediator a Positive Discipline Parenting Educator and an IPEC-trained Coach. Uh, But I love this. Even though she possesses many titles, her favorite award of all time is Best Stepmom, which was given to her by her oldest um, stepchild at the age of 12. Uh, But currently, Quinn is the co-founder of Plan P, which is a parent coaching business. So you're really the perfect person to talk to about adolescent grief because so much of what i'm trying to talk about and understand better is how do we parent our kids through the tough stuff you know right. but really with a focus on our own experiences with an early loss you know when we were when we were teenagers so this conversation is kind of a uh, A deeper look into things we've been talking about all our lives which is um the loss of our mom when we were both teenagers i was 14 and you were 16 Mm -hmm. when she died um and in the first episode i talk a bit about that and i talk a bit about how um you know that kind of played out in our family but that's just my perspective so i'm trying to get other perspectives, yours in particular, um, but I'm also going to be, you know, interviewing other people in our family just to sort of really explore how different our experiences were, even though we were in the same family and living through the same um, loss. So my first question is kind of a big one and a broad one, and you can approach it any way you like, but It's just what stands out to you when you look back on that experience.
1: I felt so alone in it. That's what stands out is that that time I felt very surrounded by people and alone um, in this sort of bubble. And I didn't know how to pierce that bubble. Um, But the, the overwhelming sort of feeling as I look back is just that aloneness even in the midst of a crowd kind of thing and you know recognizing now as an adult that that's because everybody was in grief at the same time
0: Mm. yeah yeah i was just going to ask you what do you attribute it to
1: yeah no i you know i think we were all in grief and you and i being teenagers were probably more self-concerned um and so you know I felt like and I know you felt this way too because we have had that conversation but I felt like I was doing all the house you know keeping the house together and dealing with you know the grief around it which I wasn't really dealing with pushing aside the grief
0: and and uh you know dealing with the house right Right. No, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that when I was telling my version of events. I didn't really think about um, how much just domestic chores there were still to be done um, because there was the loss of our mother who was sort of in charge of the domestic chores, but she hadn't been doing them for some time. I mean, she was ill, so we had sort of already started um, taking over that stuff, but then it it did seem more... Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth but it did seem like suddenly there was more to do and it was more that void was bigger
1: yeah I mean it's different to take the garbage out than to remember to take the garbage out
0: Mm. you know so
1: yeah we knew how to do all that stuff because we had been doing it but she had also been managing it even when she was sick I mean that's the thing that I realized as an adult is that she had spent she had still been managing a lot of our,
0: our stuff. Jumping ahead. I realize this next question is sort of, um, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about like the beginning, the early part of that grief. And then much later as an adult or even as a young adult, did you ever ask yourself like, when am I going to be done with this? When is this going to be over?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to. Yes, <laughs> yes. I asked myself that a lot. Yeah. I find that uh, grief comes in waves. So when I get hit by a big wave, I would say, what? When is this going to be over?" And I, you know, I spent a lot of time in therapy thinking, um, "All roads lead to mom." So, I I think I asked it a lot in the beginning, mm-hmm. and by the beginning, I mean. The first 20 years <laughs> yeah and you know now it's now it's not it's it's one of those things like the first time that I realized I hadn't thought of her in a day
0: mm. well when did you think you started asking yourself when will this be over like was it you know a year after she died or like five years after like where where would you place that not that you can necessarily remember but what
1: would be your best guess? Um, I would actually say probably sometime in college. Mm-hmm. I think you know the end of high school. I was still sort of so in it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I think I thought there'd be relief in leaving the the same situation. You know, like going to this new situation. I could leave my old self behind and have this new self. Right. And um, that didn't really happen.
0: No, that's so good to hear. I think we all do that. We all think like, oh, if I move or if I change, like I'll, I'll leave that stuff behind. Especially as a young person, I think we think that. Yeah. So that wasn't your experience. You got to college and it, it, it probably was dogging you in, a, in new ways.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it was in new ways. Mm. I mean, I don't remember feeling, oh, this is different. Um, people didn't know that that was my experience. Right. So that made it a little different. And uh, when one, my, my uh, advisor, my freshman advisor, said something that let me know that it was in my file somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> because he we had never had a conversation and yet he sort of referenced it Mm. and i remember that being sort of wounding Mm. because it was um because i hadn't revealed it and i thought i was moving you know it was just an internal thing that was going on that nobody knew
0: um that's interesting because i i would have thought that an adult even an adult who didn't know you acknowledging it might have felt good in a way
1: i intellectually i think that that's what i would have expected also Mm -hmm. but when he said it it just i felt exposed right essentially and and i think another thing that i carried around until pretty recently Mm. was i understand death more than most people Mm. or I understand what it is to lose someone more than most people and I definitely carried that as you know I don't want to say maturity because I knew it wasn't necessarily maturity but you know this this thing that I had
0: absolutely I I mean I think that is really true because you very I felt like I quickly recognized that other people didn't know that their parents could die (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I had that knowledge and I sort of would almost think like, yeah, you don't know, but that could happen to you too. (laughs) Um, So you're right. It's not exactly maturity, but it's a kind of perspective that's, um, uh, it's a perspective on death, that death is a little closer than maybe a lot of people realize, especially young people. Right. Yeah. But you said that's changed as you've gotten older. I assume that's because the older you get, the more of your friends have lost people
1: yeah i think that 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 is what's happened yeah and yeah just to sort of tag on to that there's also this um one of the things that i was that it, this has helped me with is that i mm. can listen to people who are in pain i can listen you know like that's the skill that i got yeah. through this is i i know i know pain lessons over time and I know that grief comes in waves and I can tolerate you know we have a friend who's who was widowed suddenly and didn't like to cry around people and I think Sarah and I offered a space where she could cry because we can tolerate having people have emotions around us in a way that a lot of people can't
0: around death in particular I almost think it's kind I mean I use the word compassion a lot, but I think that is something that happens almost immediately when you lose um, someone important is that you kind of immediately have compassion for anyone who's lost anybody, and so yeah, you can hold that space and be a good listener because you recognize that pain and it doesn't put you off right, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. The worst has happened. Right. I'm not afraid anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, fear is a big part of grief. And I feel like fear is mm-hmm. a lot of what um you kind of get over or it's a it's a strength that you have is understanding that you can get through things. Right. Yeah.
1: So I think um, they call that resiliency these days
0: yeah that's a funny word <laughs> i have a problem <laughs> with that word um i think people think of resilience well I, I think resilience really means bouncing back and i think what i don't like about it and when people use it in terms of grief is i i my perspective is that grief really changes you so you're never really going back to where you mm. were um and so it's not a problem with the word. I love the word. I love the sound of it. I love the idea of it. But I think the misconception is that, you know, you're going you're gonna to get back to where you were. Um, and you don't really. You get to, like, a new place. You get to another place that's, that's great, you know, that's the new you.
1: Well, and I would say I think that's true of all emotional stuff. Like, mm-hmm. we, we grow emotionally through our lifetime. So every experience like that changes us. Yeah. I mean every big experience. Cuz recovery is the same way. I mean, yeah. I hear people talk about that word like I don't recover myself. I discover a new <laughs> a yeah. new per- you know. It's right. the same I'm the same person but I'm different. Exactly. You
0: know? Exactly. And I think another reason I kind of resist using the word resilient is because it gets used so often with kids. Kids mm-hmm. are resilient. They, you know, that's just something we hear all the time. Kids are resilient, they'll get through it. And I think of that as a real um, misreading of what how kids respond to difficulty. Um, they bounce back or they look like they're bouncing back because that's what our expectation is. And um, yet inside they may be really suffering but they're not going to show it because you're expecting them to be fine. And you're busy saying you're fine. Everything's fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Did you feel when you were a teenager on a young adult that the, um, adults around you kind of acknowledged what you were going through, knew what you were going through? I, I, I use this word. Did you feel seen and understood? Um, I'm assuming you didn't always, but were there some people that made you feel seen and understood?
1: Yeah, there there were some people who made me feel seen and understood. And, um, you know, the the person who comes to mind, who talked to me slightly indirectly, and yet more directly than a lot of people. She talked to me about how I felt about cancer and how I felt about um, you know the house I mean we had this I know we had at least one conversation that was about my life today it wasn't about uh, mom being sick or mom dying was about my life today and yet it gave me the space to have all of my feelings around her dying and her being sick Mm, and it was just a really skillful conversation from my point of view. I don't know how intent. I mean, I'm sure it was somewhat intentional.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, right. But it, and it was helpful for me to be able to talk about those things without having to meet them head on.
0: Yeah.
1: But my experience is that most, was that most adults um, were more afraid of the topic than I was, right. which was not helpful at all.
0: Right. So would you say that there was like a gap between the actual loss when mom died and when you felt like you were able to really process those feelings or would you say it was kind of more of a continuum no i'd say there was
1: a huge gap um i think when i got sober i started processing feelings that were 20 not 20 but um 15 years old Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i think in my early recovery i processed i started processing the grief so i think the time before that i had a lot of grief i knew i had grief but i didn't actually process it i just sort of pushed it away all the time
0: i mean and this is a good question um Because I used that word processing um, in the first episode, and I don't think I really clarified what I mean by that. What do you mean when you say processing the feelings? Um, I mean Mm.
1: being able to talk about it, Mm -hmm. being able to feel the feelings without running away from them, um, being able – because I could always sort of talk about it, so it wasn't – but you know, I would talk about what happened, not how I felt about what happened. So I guess it's you know, and I still, you know, struggle to identify my feelings in the moment, right? I, I have at least a twenty-four hour lag of, uh, you know, I can I know that I'm angry, but I'm not quite sure why or, right? You know, so it often takes me. A little time to really get the nuance of the feeling I mean I the the big the the small aha that lets me let it go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that lower.
0: that delay in having your emotions or or yeah feeling your emotions do you attribute that to just your personality or do you think that is an outcome of the grief
1: no I think that's just my personality mm-hmm. I think I'm there. Are I'm a
0: little bit slow.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, there's which is one of I think my attributes, right? I it makes me a good it's part of what makes me a good listener. I don't rush to judgment, I don't rush to get things done. I just, you know, and my feelings are the same way. They they bubble up. They don't I mean, they can erupt, as mm-hmm. you well know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably better than anyone. Um <laughs> But, you know, for the most part, it keeps me... I'm sort of even-keeled because I'm a little bit slow. Part Some of that processing of uh, that it took me a long time to get to was how angry I was at mom. Mm. Like, I couldn't have that anger. and And I think that's really part of why the grief was so hard to process because I was incredibly angry
0: yeah,
1: and I was throwing that at dad and our stepmother and you know and that didn't help it dissipate because they weren't the root of the anger
0: mm-hmm. and when
1: I got to the the fact that I was angry at her mm-hmm. for leaving for dying
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know which seems so crazy because she couldn't help it I mean she didn't want to do it Right. so how could i be angry yeah that you know and yet i was incredibly angry and so I, that i think was the big block for my anger mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. i mean i could see that being a big block for a lot of feelings yeah yeah well and that is something i do really appreciate about having you um in my life as we were growing up i remember conversations And I think I was probably in my 20s when I think I called you one day and said, I'm just so mad. And you were like, oh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I've been mad for a long time. And it was so validating to be able to talk to you and and say, like, you're right, that is that is okay, And that is normal to feel angry. It took me a long time to get there. But, um, yeah, I went through a phase of feeling really angry um, at her. Well, that kind of leads me to this question about um, sort of different phases of grief. It's really hard for me to kind of, I'm not asking you to kind of identify like certain phases, but deep, but I know I do think of it as having phases or me going through different phases of it. Do you think of it that way? No. No.
1: No, I think of grief as being waves. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so there are times when there's lots of grief and times when there's less grief, mm. um, and I, yeah, I mean, I think I think about my recovery in general as a spiral. So, the the thing, the nub that I go around is still the same. The issue is still the same, but my perspective on it gets to change. Yeah. And so those waves bring me to different places, but I I don't think of them as clear phases. I just think of them as different, you know, sort of time points that happen randomly, like totally out of my control, Phases right. sounds much more like there's a process that I'm going through and it doesn't feel like a process I'm going through. It feels like something that runs me and runs me, but lifts me or throws me around a little bit sometimes.
0: <laughs> like a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> I totally relate to that. And I, I relate to the spiral too. I think that um, has been an image that has helped me over the years to go like, instead of feeling like, oh, I'm back here again, I haven't made any progress to realize, no, it is familiar. It's a familiar place, but actually you're, you're also changed. It's different too. Yep. Yeah. So talking about therapy, how important was therapy, do you think, in understanding your grief? Was your therapist helpful in that?
1: Yeah, my therapist was very helpful in that. I think we spent probably the first five years <laughs> on that. I mean, we, uh, you know, and in that way that recovery is a spiral when I mean, we just, mom came up all, mm-hmm. all lo- roads led to mom. And so we, other things would come up, but everything always seemed to go back to that in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you talk about it as, did you recognize um, kind of an earlier trauma of, I mean, I don't know if you think about mom's death as a trauma, I, but, but I do, and I, it's sort of new for me to think about it that way, but, um, but I think of also her diagnosis as an earlier version of the same loss. You know it's almost two two losses in
1: one <laughs> yeah. yeah no absolutely that mm-hmm. that there's there's that um, I remember reading hope edelman's book, um, motherless Daughters, yeah, and recognizing that some of the traits for the twelve year old fit me and some of the traits for the sixteen year old fit me, mm. and so that would be the when she got the diagnosis and or when we learned about the diagnosis and, yeah. and when she died. And so, yeah, both of those time frames were traumatic mm-hmm. and affected mm-hmm.
0: me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I have just, I'll probably put this in the show notes for people that are interested, but I have just read Hope Edelman's um, more recent book, which is really about the long-term effects of grief and um it's an excellent book in terms of it has so many references to so many other resources um about Mm. grief so it's like this really great bibliography um but i'm just wondering when you read motherless daughters did a lot of that resonate for you i mean you're saying you recognize yourself in these two places but overall did the book kind of help you or did you did you feel like it it was useful
1: yeah no the book was I think that that's the most useful book that I read Mm -hmm. um in terms of my grief um and when did you read it uh, I read it in my I read it I think shortly after it came out um and by shortly, I mean in the first year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was in my late 20s maybe, maybe yeah.
0: early 30s,
1: yeah. I don't remember. I think um, not in, the,
0: in the 90s, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, and I found it incredibly helpful in that it tied some of those things to my trauma, which I was like, oh, okay. So it makes sense that I'm like this. And it right. also, I mean, and I think it really helped me process some of that uh, grief just because it, I felt like, oh, this is why not, or not, yeah, this is why this, you know, it helped me sort of see those things as, as just part of what happened rather than character flaws of mine or ways that I viewed the world. It was like, it, it made me part of that larger community of motherless daughters. Yeah. yeah. And I think I also started collecting at that time other people who I knew who didn't, who had also lost their mothers. Like there was the Motherless Daughters Club, I would note in my head, if they belonged to the club with me.
0: Oh, Okay. That's cool. And uh, because there is a whole like online community, but that wouldn't have existed back then.
1: Yeah, and I, yeah, not yeah, not my jam to do <laughs> online community stuff.
0: Right. Um. So you've touched on this, but how do you think about your addiction in relation to your grief? Like, how are those two things related and not related? Yeah,
1: well, you know, I used to hate it when people would find out that my mother had died when I was young and assume that that's why I was an alcoholic. And, um, you know, people would go, oh, that's why. And I'm like, right. no, that's not why. You know, because I think there, I, there's a large chance that I would have ended up addicted to something. With, without that trauma mm-hmm. um, and but I th- but I also think that that gave me a reason to want to escape and yeah. I think the heart of my addiction was escaping and escaping relationships you know, escaping mm-hmm. having to deal with people um, and so yeah, it definitely played a huge part in some ways and
0: I don't think it was the determinant. Right. So that's changed over time. You sort of had more of a, these are not connected attitude. And now you realize they're somewhat connected, but not independent on each other.
1: Yeah. Well, I think life experience is life experience, right? So it's hard to know what, you know, it's it's almost impossible to say this meant that would you know would happen right so i shy away from doing that for sure yeah and yeah everything that happens contributes to who i become yeah so yeah it was a big event it was it's going to be a big contributor
0: right and how do you think of your grief in terms of how it contributed to who you are? Like now, how do you look back on it and think about it in terms of your, who you've become?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to look at the gifts it gave me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I think that we've talked about some of them, the, the ability to hold grief in general. Yeah. And the ability to listen and be compassionate and, all of that i think um got deepened i mean it's not like i wouldn't have been compassionate and you know empathetic but i think that there's a a depth to it that is from this grief this childhood grief
0: well i feel like there's just one last question we have really talked about which is what would you have said to any your parents or teachers like if you could turn back the clock what would you have advised them to do differently
1: well I think you know the having had the conversation with Coco I think I would have advised them to to do that kind of thing like to, to talk to me about where I was and allow me the space to have feelings around whatever that was, or, you know, like, I think it's really, it's really easy as an adult to push past the feelings because we can't control those. They make us uncomfortable. Other people's feelings often make us uncomfortable, but particularly our kids because we're trying to take care of them and protect them and all of those instincts mean we don't really want them to have any feelings that are not joyful (laughs) which is unrealistic a and b is is damaging because it it stops them from learning how to process those other feelings those less pretty feelings
0: right and the the idea that we could protect um our kids or ourselves from painful feelings is kind of a, a, a folly because it's you know just by not talking about them, you don't protect anyone from having feelings,
1: yeah, I mean, I think the other thing and that I've tried to do with my kids um is just uh honest just being honest, yeah, like not being pushy about how I feel about things, but when asked questions, just like not hide trying trying for transparency,
0: yeah.
1: You know, in all things, because it doesn't help to hide those things and it doesn't, it just makes them hide too. And then,
0: yeah, I sometimes have um, conversations with, you know, friends who are also parents about, you know, what I talk to my kids about. And sometimes I'll get the response of like, really, you talk to your kids about that? And I was like, yeah, I do, because I find it easier than not talking about it. So in a way for me, I feel like I don't have a choice in terms of being open and honest. It's just, um, it's such a strong impulse from my early experience of feeling like people weren't talking to me about what was really happening. I mean, I talked about this in the first episode, but you know, Um, our parents were really open about what was happening and they gave us the facts like this is happening and nothing was kept from us, but there wasn't acknowledgement that I remember of the feelings that go along with all of that, you know? Um, and so that's what I feel like has always been really important to me as a parent is always really acknowledging my kids feelings and just making space for them even to the point of suggesting like oh maybe you might be feeling sad about this because sometimes they'll say you're right you know they might not have said it or or had the impulse to show it but as soon as i say it they're and i don't think it's leading i think it's really just saying oh maybe that maybe you would feel sad about this and they go boom into it you know
1: we, a lot of us think we know what they're feeling right. and say oh you're you're mad rather than you may be i mean adding that little word makes a huge difference because it gives them the space to figure it out and they they aren't any good at figuring out their feelings right because they're relatively new to it i mean yeah i didn't learn how to articulate my feelings until last week it feels like <laughs> and um you know i'm still learning that on some level sure so you know being able to supply words that might fit yeah is is helpful and yeah i you know it it's interesting to hear you talk about their not talking to us about feelings because um i felt also very like we were kept in the dark even though mm-hmm. we knew to some extent what was going on yeah. and um and I've tried really hard around Sarah's own disease, which is not fatal, mm-hmm. um, to just be like, really, uh, we, you know, we sat down and we were just, we tried to be, we tried to let them lead the conversation mm-hmm. and yet be really open about, yeah, this is scary. Yeah. This is a, a scary thing. Yeah. To have your parent
0: yeah. be sick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Quinn, I think we've covered everything, and this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and um, maybe we'll have to have you back on later
1: in yeah. the season. I'm sure that there are any number of silos we could go
0: down. I know. We could talk about this forever, but I'm trying to keep these kind of on the short side. So. <laughs> and it's a heavy subject, and people are like, you know, it's a lot for... Um, for people to listen to so I, I thank you for taking the time yeah anytime so thanks for listening and thanks to Josephine Wiggs for the intro and outro music from her album We Fall